This message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, this morning we're going to look at a lot of different places in the Bible. I know usually I say open to this passage, and if you want to, you can go ahead and open to 1 John. Uh, That will be the first one that we look at. But we're actually going to look at uh, a lot of different scriptures this morning centered around this question, is this part of the end times? Is this coronavirus something that is leading up to the end times? And and I just want to really be clear on this. Um, Is this part of the end times? Yes and no. Uh, I'm not trying to be confusing. I know you can appreciate my total clarity in that. But let me explain my answer because, and again, this is just my answer. Uh, I emphasize the word my answer, my opinion. If you ask 10 different theologians that are all respected, 10 different Christians that, that love Jesus well, you may get as many as 10 different answers. But when people have asked me over the last couple of weeks, with that sense of urgency. Hey, is this a sign of the end times? I can confidently say in, in my own heart that yes, and I'll explain that. And I can say in my own opinion, no, I don't believe it's the capstone and that tomorrow this may happen. It may. There's nothing really delaying the return of Christ. He's going to come in at his time. It's already fixed for all eternity. And, and yet it is a pertinent question. So this morning we're going to dig into God's Word, and uh, let me start with the yes part. Do I believe that this is part of the end times? I would say yes, because I believe that God has allowed the coronavirus uh, and many, many other things for thousands of years now to draw men's attention back to Him. Our human nature is one that tends to slumber. I think all of us would agree that... Um, to become spiritually lazy is kind of default sometimes in our life. And it's when crisis comes into our lives that we seemingly draw near to God. Our prayer life often increases. Our, our desire to be in God's word often increases during that time. And it's not that during those other times that we just go off and rampant sin. We just kind of live life and we don't always keep this fervent desire to be with Christ every day. And so I consider that it is extremely kind of God that he would allow, and even sometimes I would say endorse, calamity in our world for the sake of causing brokenness in our lives and allowing for times of repentance to come to his people. When we look in the Old Testament, this was a a characteristic that we see over and over again, that the people of Israel, God's chosen people, would become spiritually lazy. They would go in from that laziness into a sinful life, oftentimes idolatry and other things like that. And there were times that God allowed what we would consider evil people to come in. The Babylonians, the Assyrians come in and take the the people of God and put them into captivity. And they would even ask God, God, why would you allow the Assyrians to do this? Why would you allow the Babylonians to take over your people? And the answer, briefly, that God would give is is simply that he's using that as a way of bringing them back. We really didn't see it so much. I I wouldn't use the word punishment as much as I would say God stirring awakening from a spiritual slumber. How amazing and how kind that is for God to do that. I know he's done that in my own life. 
times of crisis. Sometimes it may be a relationship crisis, other times a financial crisis, other times just, a, you know, uh, things going on in our life, maybe in, in, even in church, that God would wake me from my spiritual slumber by crisis, and I would turn my heart and my, my eyes upon him. I, I consider God very gracious to do those things. So are we living in the last days? My answer, yes, is because I truly believe that ever since Christ was resurrected from the dead and the ascension of Christ in Pentecost that we are living in the last days. We can call that the church age. And uh, uh, again, there's always going to be debate. There's going to be theological debate of how to interpret millennial period and different things like that. But I do believe that we have been living, in a sense, in the last days, waiting for the second advent, the second return of Christ, ever since he left and ascended the first time. In fact, every single New Testament writer uh, has in some way made a reference to living in the last days, the last times. Some have called it the last hour. Here's what John said, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Now, John writes this almost 2,000 years ago, and yet he writes it calling it the last hour. Was he just misinformed? Or was there this sense that since Christ had come once and now ascended back to heaven, that now we are waiting for the second return. I think that's how John would have understood prophecy and the promises of God that Christ would return again. And so in one sense, he says, this is the last hour. Would he be surprised that that last hour now has lasted 2,000 years? Maybe, maybe not. I think he would just trust it, God, that there was this sense of urgency in his life because at any point in time, Christ can come back. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now, Peter died approximately in 65 A.D. Uh, he was aware that Christ had predicted the destruction of the temple. That didn't come until 70 A.D. So was Peter saying, okay, Christ is coming back today or tomorrow when he says the end of all things is, is at hand. Now, I think that he has in mind that in his generation or perhaps the next generation that Christ can return. I mean, Jesus had predicted that uh, Peter, uh, certain things would happen in Peter's older life. And, and Peter was perhaps in midlife at, at the point that he's writing this. So I, I don't know that Peter says, okay, it's going to be tomorrow morning. But he's certainly giving a mindset that Christ is going to keep his promise, that God is going to fulfill this promise that Christ would come back. And so he says, the end of all things at hand, whether it's one generation or the next generation, there was that sense of urgency in the writing of Peter. What about James? James says it this way in James 5, 8. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Again, James, a very practical book, a practical book calling us into a holy living and righteous living and, and living out the gospel in our lives. And yet he says here, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Every New Testament writer, Paul, everyone speaks to a timeliness and urgency where we are to live in expectation. 
See, the New Testament writers did not see the return of Christ as something far off that was going to take place 20, 100 generations from that time. They really saw the possibility of it in their generation. And I would propose that almost every generation since the time of Christ has had something in uh, history, something that would provoke them, something that would give them a mindset that Christ could come back in their lifetime. Again, I see this as very gracious of God to allow us to be provoked in such a way. At the same time, the Bible makes it very clear that we don't know the day. We don't know the exact hour. Uh, Jesus was very emphatic about this. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, he said, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. He doesn't say that the Lord's not going to come. He doesn't say, I'm not going to return. He just says, keep watch, because you don't know what day that is. A chapter later in Matthew 25, verse 13, he says, Therefore, keep watch. Do you see those words again? Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Mark's gospel records it this way, Mark 13, 55. Same words, therefore keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us that the day is not known. When he writes to the Thessalonians in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, he says this, Now, brothers, about times and dates... We don't need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Paul says, I'm not even going to try to come up with a day. I'm not going to try to come up with a time. Because we know that that's impossible. That we have been promised it. That we don't know the day. That not even Christ knows the day. And yet that has not prevented man to... um, to try to search the scriptures and try to come up with theories and, and, and their own timeline. Um, some of those uh, turn out to be somewhat humorous. It's sad, but kind of humorous. There was a time back in 1843, a man by the name of William Miller lived in New England, and uh, he believed in Christ, and he began to search the scriptures, and, and it really that became his heartbeat. I mean, that's all he did. And he put all these... Uh, uh, um, uh, kind of postulations together, and he put together all these mounds of data. He analyzed it. He did dubious mathematical calculations, and he came up with a date, March 21st, 1843. He said, this is the day that Christ is going to return. And he shared this with people. They were known as the Millerites. They they followed William Miller, and they became known as the Millerites. And here's what they did. Uh, On the day, March 21st, 1843, they put on robes. They called them their ascension robes. And they actually got on top of their houses. Or if the tree was in their yard or something, they would, they went kind of up into the mountains and climbed these trees so that they would be the first to go. Now that kind of seems silly to us. And yet I, I, they believed it with all their heart. Well, needless to say, March 21st, 1843 was not the time that Christ was coming back. And uh, they remained up in those trees until the next day, and then they came down. Um, William Miller went back, and he looked, and he discovered that he had made a mathematical mistake. As he analyzed everything that he had done, he, he came back and he said, I missed it. I missed it by a year. And so guess what? On March 21st, 1844, that these same group of Millerites did. 
They donned their ascension robes. They got up on top of houses, on tops of a mountain and trees, uh, so that they would be the first to go. Um, unfortunately, once again, only to be disappointed. Now, now, what do we learn from that? We learn that man is always, you know, there's going to be a temptation for us to kind of figure out things. We love to be in control. We absolutely love to, to be kind of the owners of our own destiny. And, and yet, one of the things that, that we really need to understand is that while we certainly have responsibility for all of our decisions and all of our actions, that our hand, you know, our lives are in the hand of a holy God and a sovereign God. So should we just give it no thought at all? Should we just not even think about the return of Christ? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. The whole point of Jesus' words in Matthew 24 and 25 were to do what? What phrase did he use over and over and over again, whether in parable or in the direct uh, teaching there? Keep watch. Keep watch. This is the call of Christ in this day, in, in, in 2020. Keep watch. What does that mean? Uh, we're going to get into it a little bit more next week, but, but basically it means to live in watchful anticipation. Jesus tells a parable about ten virgins uh, awaiting this wedding, and we'll see more about that next week. But it's that watchful anticipation. You see, when Jesus talked about the, his return in the last days, he did not do it to create fear. If anything, he, he wanted to, to strike fear out of it. One of the reasons why we like dates and why we like kind of to control it is we think that maybe the more we know, the less we're going to be fearful, that we're fearful of the unknown. And I know right now there's a lot of people that are, you know, part of the fear is, okay, when are we going to be able to come back out of our houses? When are we going to be able to go to school? When are we going to be able to go back to work or or to church? And it's that unknown factor that begins to strike fear if we're not careful in our hearts. Well, when Christ begins to talk about things in a prophetic way, he does not do it to cause fear, but actually to strike fear out of their lives. A great example of this is what we see uh, Jesus when he talks in John chapter 16. There's some really terrifying stuff that he's prophesying that he says is going to happen. He says that he's about to be arrested and crucified. You can only imagine how terrifying that was to his followers. Uh, he tells them that that they, the followers, will be scattered. Again, that's kind of scary stuff. He tells them that they will abandon him and kind of go their own way. Pretty scary stuff. Now, why did he tell all those prophecies? Why did he foretell that? It, it wasn't to strike fear in their hearts. He tells us the reason in John sixteen thirty three. L- look closely what he says. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now you may have heard that verse before, but that's the context. He's predicting all these things, terrifying things in the flesh. And yet, what is his call there? He says, I have told you these things. Why? So that you can really be freaked out about them? No. So that you, that, that in me you may have peace. What does that mean? It simply means this, that we who cannot control every aspect of what's happening in the world, that we put our full belief in a sovereign God that can. 
In those days when they did not anticipate what was coming, Jesus said, you put your faith in me, you're going to have peace. See, the Bible tells us about the last days, not to scare us, but to prepare us. So is the coronavirus part of the last days? I would say yes. As much as any element in history ever since the ascension of Christ and Pentecost that has stirred the hearts of man who has awoken us from our slumber in the sense that it is hopefully accomplishing what many other challenging times in history, I would say yes. If it has made us to consider what is important and valuable, then yes. It has made us to realize that life is fragile and that we're not in control, yes. It is, makes us conscious of the certainty of Christ in a very uncertain world, then I would say yes. It is part of the last days, as in as is perhaps thousands of events over the last 2,000 years. However, I do think that you could answer this question in a very different way. Is the coronavirus part of the last days? I, I do think that you could answer, perhaps, in my opinion, no. In the sense that, is this the capstone? Is this like the last piece? And is this the final straw before the return of Christ? I can't say with a definite part that it's not, but I don't think so. I mean, I have no reason to believe that this particular plague, that this particular event in history is too unlike other events that have happened for the last 2,000 years. Now, I say that with all respect of what do I know? You know, I'm not the final word on this. My answer comes from simply surveying the history of man and especially Christian man and how we've looked upon times like this as the possibilities of return of Christ. Let me give you an example. It's not distant history, and I think it's a good comparison. If we go back about a 100 years, back in the early 1900s, you had some major, major, major tragic events happen in a very short time frame. World War I uh, happened from 1914 to 1918. On the cusp of that was the Spanish flu, a pandemic, the last big world pandemic. It happened from 1918 to 1920. Get this. It killed as many as 50 million people around the world. I mean, it's a major pandemic. Right after that, from 1929 to 1933, was the Great Depression. Right after that, the rise of Hitler in World War II from 1933 to 1945. In a span of 25, 30 years, four major, major events happened. And you can only imagine for many people, Christians, that, that were saying things like, is this the end of the world? And maybe, you know, Hitler, many people, many theologians, many Christians thought, is this perhaps the Antichrist? And so here's an example from history of where we want to kind of say, this is the end. This is the final, final days. And we don't know that because here we are 100 years later Many more world events have happened. And yet, here, here's what I do know. And I'm not trying to be cute with this, guys. Here's what I do know. We are one day closer today than we were tomorrow. Is Christ coming back? Yes. He will keep his promise. Do we know the exact time? No. The Bible says that we will not. No. 
Are, are there signs in the Bible that we can look and, and can we kind of put together a little bit of a timeline? Yes, I, I think there's certain things that have to happen. The Bible prophesies that this has to happen before Christ's return. So I do think that there's certain things that we can certainly be educated about from the Bible. But here's the main thing that I, I want us to know. Here's what we can know with exact certainty. Number one, God is ever working for his glory and for his plan. He's always carrying out his perfect plan for the ages. So the first thing we know is that God is always going to be working his plan. Nothing is working God. God is working his plan. Number two, Christ has told us to live lives that are watchful for his return. Again, I'm not trying to be simplistic or cute with that summary, but, but let's focus on the things that we know for sure. I'm not saying that this, that we shouldn't study God's word for, you know, in Revelation and read Revelations. In fact, Revelation is the only book of the Bible that says there's a blessing for reading that book. We should dig into God's word. But I don't know that we should dig into God's word trying to exact out a time that this is definitely going to happen. I think that would cause some fear. I think that's exactly what Jesus spoke against. That our trust is not in a date and time. Our trust is in God's sovereignty, in Christ's provision. Where do I place this very special time in the events of history? Um, I consider it one of the many, many times that God has graciously stirred us from our spiritual slumber so that we can live watchful lives in joyful anticipation of Christ's return. Whether that return would come tomorrow, next week, next year, a hundred years from now, or a thousand years from now, but that he would stir us from our spiritual slumber so that we put our focus and our attention on him. I mean, that was what Christ commanded in Matthew 24, 25, Mark 13. Therefore, be watchful. Keep watch. As you can imagine, the responses uh, uh, that you get when you ask this question, is this part of the end times, uh, they're varied. In fact, I've, I put on Facebook yesterday, I, I just did a little very unscientific poll, and I said, hey guys, what do you think? Is this coronavirus? Is this a part of the end times? And as you can imagine, uh, there was a lot of varied responses. Uh, I think altogether, uh, at last count, there was about 63 responses. And... Uh, some were no, and some were yes, and some were very definite in their yes, and some were pretty definite about their no. And uh, one thing that I liked about it, though, is that everybody, everybody that I, every uh, report that I read and response that I read, you know, they, they were really sincere of just their earnest love for Christ. In that way, they were on target. The first one to respond was Julie Brimbelow, and uh, and she said that I could use this in the sermon today, and it was funny because she, you know, she said no, but here's what I, God's doing in my heart, you know, a time of refocus and a time to to reevaluate, to reprioritize, and there was a lot of people that their response later on was what Julie said, what Julie said, and I just love that, and that's really kind of how I would sum this up also. Can I see prophetic happenings in this? Yeah. In the last days, there will be pestilence. This is a form of pestilence. I'm not discounting that at all. But what I want to make much of in my own personal life, in my family's life, that this is a time that God allows us to pause, 
to refocus, to reevaluate what is important, and to reprioritize our lives. The greatest thing that could come out of these uh, days and weeks and months of sheltering is that we would be in God's word, that our prayer life would increase, that we would waken from our spiritual slumber, that we would uh, kind of get away from our overactivity and our busyness, and that we would allow the important things to be the important things. There's a lot of opinions about the last days. I respect a lot of people. Uh, uh, I've listened to John Piper, his view, and David Jeremiah, two guys that I respect a lot. Uh, I could go down the list, Franklin Graham, and everybody's kind of spoken to this a little bit. And, and really, their answers have varied a little bit. But here's the one common ground. No matter what kind of theological take they take on this time, and is this the you know part of the end days, that God is allowing this time for us to focus our hearts on him, to draw near to him, and to evaluate our lives in view of the scripture. Next week, we're going to get into First uh, Peter chapter 4, uh, when Paul talks about, uh, I'm sorry, when Peter talks about verse 7, he says, the end of all things is at hand. Again, he wasn't predicting that Christ was coming the next day or the next week. He, he just knew that, okay, and the timetable of creation to eternity, all these things have happened. This now, this church age, Christ coming, his death, burial, and resurrection, and now his ascension. That now that he's gone the first time from the first advent, now the world is prepared for the second advent, the second coming of Christ. So next week we'll look at that, the parable of the ten virgins. How, what does it mean to have a watchful life? And uh, we want to go to scripture. And really kind of, what does this Bible say about having this heart and this mind that is watchful? Until then, if God tarries and the return of Christ doesn't come before next week, I pray that, uh, that you will draw near to God, that you will use this very important time in the life of yourself and your family to draw near to God, to, to, to be watchful and to anticipate with great joy his return. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we love you. We thank you. Father, we thank you that your word is sufficient. Father, there is a part of us, honestly, that would love to know a date and a time. And Father, I really think that would be tragic. Tragic in the sense, Father, that knowing our nature, we would kind of spend our life in one way and then kind of wait to perhaps even that last day, that last week, that last month to get really serious with you. Father, I I think that's why Christ said, I don't know the date and you're not going to know the date, but you're to keep watchful. Father, will you allow us to, to live that out as we are sheltering? Father, that we would have watchful lives. Father, that we would take this time to dig deeper into your word. Father, that we would take this time to pastor our families and to love on our families well. Father, that we would take this time to develop a deeper prayer life with you. Father, we love you. We thank you so much that in all the confusion and all the even debate about last days and end times, Father, that we can have this confidence that you are working for your glory and you're working your plan. And Father, that you are calling us, your church, your people, Father, to go and and to draw close to you, 
to tell our neighbors of this incredible grace, this amazing grace that you saved us and that we're to go out, Father, and spread the hope of the gospel. Help us to be very, very busy about that in the days and weeks and months and years to come. That, Father, until that day when Christ burst through the clouds, that we would be found watching and joyful anticipation. We love you and thank you as we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.